Good morning. Uh, my name is Sharon Hargrave, and I'm the director for the Boone Center for the Family here at Pepperdine. Um, many of you have been in some of our other seminars, and we do like to talk at each seminar as I introduce the Boone Center about different programming that we have. One I have not mentioned today is called Marriage Strong, and we have developed a companion program called Relate Strong that helps people learn how to deal with relationships well. Um, our belief is at the Boone Center for the Family is that what you do in relationship with people you are close to, spouses, siblings, those kinds of close, close roommates, you also do in relationship with the people around you. So if you can learn about who you are in the context of your closest relationship, it transfers into helping you be more dynamic in relationships around you. I don't know if any of you all have been successful in changing the people around you, <laughs> but I have not so much. But I have been successful in changing the relationship by understanding my own dynamic in the relationship, and then that changes our relationship together. So we have some information at the back about Marriage Strong. We also, as you come in today, have handed you a little Boone Center card it just has space on it for your email address. If you're not on our mailing list, we would love to have you on our mailing list and we can give you updates on programming that we do. I am so excited to have the Gibbony group here today. <laughs> um, I am thankful for Susan in many ways. She's been a member of the board of the Boone Center for the Family since its inception, I believe, which is 1996. And she has been such a stellar board member, not only to be very faithful in coming to board, member, board meetings, but also to be out in the community teaching and encouraging other people to have healthy relationships. She is a retired professor of education here at Pepperdine. She does everything from premarital classes to women's ministry in prisons. Um, I personally feel challenged and inspired by Susan and love the connection that I've had with her. Her daughter Carrie uh, also has a doctorate in education and Carrie, Carrie, to get your title right, she's a program director for the teacher education program here at Pepperdine. Um, she and her husband um, minister through the church in very powerful ways and recently we've had the opportunity to get a little bit more involved with them and are really excited about the relationships we're building together in the future to help families deal with problems and issues. And then Jessica, recent graduate, yay, at Pepperdine, four days ago, in English. And I don't want this to become your defining moment, but she is also a Fulbright Scholar, which we're very excited about. It is a defining moment but don't want that to be your complete identity. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to know Jessica today um, as they speak to us about intergenerational faith and transmitting faith from one generation to the next. The most, we, through all the seminars we've had this week uh, about relationships and spirituality, we continue to say the most dynamic relationship for building young people is their relationships in their family. So we're excited to have you ladies today. Uh, thank you very much. Sharon, um, welcome to Stepperdine. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the generational differences might be how much you hurt in the mornings after walking <laughs> around campus. Maybe that's where we need to start today. Um, uh, as you came in, we gave you a little fun quiz. You don't have to take it. I'm a professor, but I, you don't have to do this. Uh, <laughs> if you want to, we thought it might be a fun way to just uh, begin our conversation and our reflection on um, generations, uh, generational cohorts, our differences um, when it comes to our ages. Um, what seems so effortless to one generation may be, may be very daunting for another generation and so we hope by the time you leave today that you will have some tools yep is it not working it feels like it's on did that, that hi on. yeah well i'm on i don't know i don't didn't touch it i can hear it. Is it? 
maybe I'll walk up maybe a little closer to it. Can you hear me? Does it feel like the mic is on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so our hope, our, our learning objective, I'm a teacher, <laughs> uh, is that you will take away um, some tools uh, to strengthen intergenerational relationships, both in your families. We're going to give lots of ideas, tools, strategies, things to think about. So strengthening intergenerational relationships, both in your families, but also in your churches. And um, so uh, we want to begin today by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Susan Gibbony. The guess which one is the older of the group. I mean, you can, yeah. But it's my honor to introduce my daughter, Carrie Wall. She's my Tokyo-born oldest daughter uh, that I have. She's always so faithful and loyal to family and church. She works hard, um, certainly to in academically and, and teaching here at Pepperdine. Uh, I think she keeps a very wise balance between being her own person, a wife, a fun and very intentional mother, wife of a, a minister, accomplished teacher. She's a generous servant at church. She's always helpful to me as an aging mother um, who's a widow and lives alone, and I always feel Carrie is very supportive. I thank God for her. My Jessica, um, you heard, you know, she and the and the Seagulls or the Pelicans actually graduated yeah, she, on yes, Saturday. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Very exciting. One of the best graduations ever between Rick Boyle oh and the Pelicans. It was fabulous. Um, so she she has her teaching credentials. So she wants to teach middle or high school English and will be teaching English in Athens, Greece starting in September, so that's a really exciting new adventure she's embarking on. She is a gifted and prolific writer. Uh, she's already written a couple of novels um, and a wonderful travel blog that she's going to reinvigorate as she heads back to Athens. So that's one of my favorite moments when my mm -hmm. inbox says, there's another posting on Jessica's travel blog. Yay! So great. Um, she is a loyal friend. She is a a f intentional family member. She's intentional with her relationships. She's smart. Summa cum laude, I have to say. Proud mom. <laughs> um, funny, organized, efficient, disciplined. She's, she's pretty much a force to be reckoned with. I always am awe uh, of her. Um, and I do, I, I do often like, wow, she's my daughter. I learned she's from my her. Granddaughter. I respect her. I value her opinion. And I This is my grandma, Susan K. Gibbony. A few uh, years back. Yes. These are all our senior pictures. Yes. So. Yeah, there's a common misconception that my grandma is retired, but it's not true. Uh, <laughs> she sits on multiple boards, um, teaches um, in a women's prison. She does um, a house group, which is a full-time job in of itself mm. because she's um, hosting, and she'll talk about that later in this presentation. But she's always opening up her home and integrating herself into whatever communities she decides to invest in and um, it really shows she has she has left her fingerprint on this mm -hmm. campus and um, on other um, churches and wherever really she um, steps into it. and that also includes our family I like to think of my grandma as um, the common thread that holds us all together mm -hmm. she has modeled for all of us how to prioritize family and um, how to make time for it she, she always hosts mm -hmm. amazing events and activities we always joke that she has a program yes. whenever we're having a, a dinner she has something printed uh, out and ready uh, but it's uh, it's for us to reflect it invites us into times to be grateful yeah. for a certain member maybe honor someone in the family and um, in doing so she has shown us how to um, engage and initiate fellowship together and um, I don't think our family would be nearly as close without your matriarchal leadership and um, we love you so much thank and I'm so okay. so proud to be your um, granddaughter on this campus thank you sweet so here's a four generation picture we thought you just when we we're going through pictures so this is actually me and then my mom and then her mom and her mom so it's kind of special as we're talking about generations today uh, very special um, women so we thought uh, you know the a good place to start today is um, talking a little bit or at least defining what we're what we're thinking about. We thought this definition was really good. A generation is a group of people who are connected by their common location in history. So, you know, uh, same age basically, but they tend to share common behaviors and attitudes about family life, gender roles, institutions, culture, lifestyle, and future. 
each generation tends to think and act in unison on many matters and develops a worldview that shares its direction from youth through old age. The span of one generation is approximately the length of a phase of life. I actually looked up how, what is the lifespan in, um, in America, it's about 72 years. Um, so that's the definition from Bozeman and maybe it's an important place for us to start today. Um, each one of us here is a member of a generational cohort. Um, we share unique qualities uh, with others in our generation, maybe as it's depicted in the, uh, the quizzes you took. Um, but though, though each of us is unique, we thought it might be instructive to briefly share generational characteristics of people in each generational cohort. And so um, these are the, the commonalities or the lumping them together, what the, what the research shows, but then we're gonna kind of pull that apart a little bit later. So I represent um, the older generation we're called the traditionalists sometimes. Sometimes we're called the builder generation. We grew up following the Great Depression in World War II, which taught us self-sacrifice and discipline and doing without, even though we didn't feel like we were deprived. Our families just supported each other and we didn't expect a government, hand, a government handout. That's how we did it. We are probably more conservative, conforming, rule followers, kind of boring probably in a lot of ways, but that's our generation that we are. Uh, we're protocol oriented, um, and, and sometimes that can limit us and it frustrate, frustrates us sometimes, uh, but it probably limits and frustrates you sometimes uh, with our particular generation uh, we work with this. So we're generally people of high moral values. We're loyal to country, organizations, and family. So we tend to be more loyal and traditional regarding church. And perhaps at our age, we may be the most generous givers though at church. We're learning to adapt to changes, particularly in technology, and changes at church can be difficult for us sometimes. So we like to be approached patiently and with reason, not just challenged or belittled about it. This generation likes to be respected for our experience and even for our aging minds and our aging bodies. We want to say, quote, please be patient with us as we were with you when you were young you were slow then, you selectively forgot things, you got sick and needed care, you had to be taught new things, you rambled on about your day and wanted us to listen with rapt attention, you were afraid of new experiences, you wanted us to keep you company when you were lonely, and yet you wanted independence, and so now we need that. really grew up in unprecedented economic prosperity um, and post-war hopefulness. Um, they were raised in, in nuclear families, mom, dad, and the kids oftentimes with stay-at-home moms. Um, they were driven by success. They are more competitive, ambitious, high stress, tend to be more workaholic, success-seeking. Um, believing that they will change the world, they push against authority and rules sometimes and are optimistic and action-oriented. What are we gonna do about this? Um, they often pursue standards of excellence and are business savvy in, in their churches. Um, and then in the late uh, 60s and early 70s, um, our society shifted a little bit. Um, divorce was on the rise, um, more working moms, um, uh, um, they had the, the new normal was forcing this generation X to be more independent, self-sufficient, skeptical, resi resilient, and flexible. They had to be with the kind of um, changes in their family structure. The recession and layoffs uh, forced them to become loyal, not to organizations, but more to their work or their team or their boss, so becoming more individualistic in their affiliation and commitments. They are more willing to take risks, or maybe a little more casual, accepting and, and view everyone as, as an equal. 
They do seek to um, cultivate more work-life balance and tend to be more spiritual, but not always church-going. So they like to pursue um, real, authentic relationships in church environments. So I'll be covering the last two generational cohorts. I think that there's kind of <clears throat> confusion between the difference between Gen Y or Gen 2020, as mentioned here, and millennials. I think we kind of like lump anyone who's young into the millennial category. <laughs> and actually, out of convenience today, I'll be referring to anyone born after 1981 as a millennial. But um, just know that there's kind of two generational cohorts being represented here. I still think that there are some strong trends that tie both together. So I'll just address those together right now. Um, the first being that um, we were raised in a more child-centric world. Women, I mean, children were supposed to be seen and heard. Yeah. And um, so. <laughs> you grew up being the center of attention. Birthday parties were a really big deal. <laughs> and in so being raised in that environment, we began to um, have a strong sense of self-confidence, of self-efficacy, autonomy, and um, also maybe a little bit of self-centeredness, <laughs> a, a side effect of that as well. But um, ultimately, we believe that we have power to influence the world as a result. So we can be a force to be reckoned with in, the, in that aspect. Uh, we also were raised in a modern world that's constantly shifting. It feels like every single year there's a big shift in technology particularly. And because of that, we are more flexible and adaptable and lean into change um, as a result. I'm a person that likes to get the new iPhone or get the new update on my app. I, I like new updates and um, I'm, ready, I'm ready for that and I'm flexible, adaptable. Um, something I really appreciate about my generational cohort is actually um, our social, our sense of social responsibility, which I think also stems from being a child-centered world where we think our voice matters. We believe that we can influence the world and we, we think about the environment, we think about social justice issues, and um, I think spearhead of a lot of movements toward um, seeing this world become a better one. And we think of that as our responsibility, take that very seriously. I, we also are curious and fun-seeking people. On the other side of that, maybe more unstructured and a little bit more undisciplined. We are motivated by experience instead of um, financial gain. If you look at um, where our career paths maybe lie, it's we want to enjoy our work environment every day more, I think, than um, we do what, what we, we're going to get out of it as far as money or security. And we, we have this drive for, um, I think as you mentioned in your generation too, authenticity. That's a really big thing, and um, you'll see that in the church. We really seek for genuine relationships between us and God, but sometimes have a mistrust of institution, because institutions sometimes can get in the way of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And um, so that there's a little bit of mistrust there, and we'll kind of address how we can go forward from that point, but those are some common patterns in um, millennials and Gen Y. As you've probably noticed, due to the history that we're talking about, that we are different in many ways. Our age is only the one aspect of who we are. And yet people often stereotype us and they think they know us because they're based on that one age part of us. Oh, she's over 65, so she's closed-minded. Or, oh, he's in college, so he's a liberal techie flake. You know, we just kind of tend to do that. Though we do have differences based upon our generational cohort or age, we'd like to talk about ways in which we can embrace not only our differences, but also the beautiful things that we have in common within our faith communities and in our families. We also want to share how people of different generations can still create a cohesive, loving family with respect for all generations. So um, we're going to spend some time thinking about ways to reach across the generational aisle, both within your family and um, also in, in the church. And um, so our first point um, is that we really feel like it's important to get to know one another as individuals. So we just finished going over what the millennials look like, what the baby boomers look like. So we started there, but now we kind of want to unpack that and a, a place to begin to reach across the aisle um, and to kind of abolish some of those stereotypes is get to know um, individuals in every generation. Um, we often have stereotypes of the other ones, as my mom just said, they're, they're too set in their ways, they're wishy-washy, they don't like change, and we have these assumptions for 
all people in your age group. I know you because you're 65 or whatever. Um, however, when we reach across the aisle and sit down across a cup of coffee, intentionally ask questions, truly listen, genuinely try to get to know them, we can be surprised by what we find. Um, as we take the time to get them as whole, multifaceted people and not just people that are members of a certain generational cohort um, that have unique experiences, preferences, personalities, interests, and talents, I think our, the stereotypes can often vanish and our understanding and appreciation of who they are as individuals grows. This is my dear friend, I love her so much, Vera Jennings. I don't, does anyone know Vera? Vera and Jennings Davis. Um, we share the same birthday, January 11th, and so though I visit her throughout the year, um, Andy, my husband, takes Vera and I out to Maria's every year on our birthday. We get the coconut cake at the end, it's our favorite. Um, and um, I just, both, both she and Jennings are so very dear to us. Jenny has since passed away. They were married for 70 years. Mm -hmm. She reminds me that every time we're together, mm -hmm. but she has a beautiful outlook on life. <laughs> Um, I love just being with her and hearing her stories and and, and so by my unique and, and individual relationship with her that's been really beneficial um, e even now that my kids are all grown um, I try to every summer I still teach fourth and fifth grade and I teach mm -hmm. VBS and I do that on purpose um, so that I still know all the kids in our church's names and when I see them on Sunday, I can greet them, and we've had a shared experience. Um, my mom's going to talk a little bit about her house group each week. One of the things that I think one of the things I love most about the church is um, the intergenerationality of the church. Uh, I love how I have my, my girls call me a baby snatcher, so I have these little babies and I find the moms head toward me because they know I'm going to snatch that baby. <laughs> um, but I have my older friends. I love that my daughters, um, they do some babysitting, so they walk up, up to church and the little two, three, four-year-olds are like, they're rock stars, they flock to them, <laughs> hi, Michaela, or whatever. Um, I love that my teenage daughters had um, other women that were maybe mom age but not mom and so um, I think many places in our society we silo off and I love the church for um, having all generations represented um, it, it, there and that's one of the things I love about the church and getting to know each other as individuals uh, adding on to that I have seen the same thing I don't know where else in my world, I would be able to develop individual relationships with older people that were not directly related to me. I don't know, a block party maybe? I don't know. We don't have any opportunities for that. Um, one person that has really poured into me and my church community is a man named Mike Revis. And um, from a very early age, he greeted me with a bear hug every um, Sunday, but it was not just isolated to church or relationship. Um, he came to my volleyball games. And so um, in doing so, he sought to understand me as a person, what made me tick even outside of the church, something I was passionate about. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to someone else's game that wasn't even related to you. I, it really blew me away and it, it communicated something very strongly to me. Really important. Um, I tried to know family members as individuals several ways. One, uh, a little bit, little bit of financial investment in shared vacations and time together. You can't build relationships if you're not together. And so that's what I believe in. As I read recently, cousins become best friends at grandma's house. Is that right, <laughs> Jessica? I think it's true. I've watched my grandchildren become best friends. Um, I liked it, and especially when Carrie was growing up, to have interesting guests in my home. But when I did, like visiting missionaries, the kids were at the table too. I wanted them to hear the conversation too. I wanted them to ask questions too. And that was very uh, intergenerational, but also inspiring to them. Carrie mentioned my house group. I have uh, 18 college students every Tuesday night to my home. I feed them. That's probably why they come. Uh, but also, they become really a little family for the year. And um, they're my kids. And they're my kids all their time uh, here at Pepperdine. And, and that's my privilege to be able to do that. Um, during a family vacation once, uh, I wanted our worship time to be um, family worship time. 
So as Jessica mentioned, Grandma always has a program. Uh, but I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is have each aunt and uncle be assigned to one of their nieces or nephew, and they become a prayer partner. So we kind of did that, and I, they, they kind of got in their dyads, and I watched them as they talked together and shared what their prayer requests were. And it was very meaningful and touching, and some of that lasted all year, didn't it, Jessica? I um, had a very special prayer partner I scored. I got Aunt Paula. Yeah, she and, did. <laughs> um, Aunt Paula is a prayer warrior. She I think is. it's one of the really big ways that she engages her faith. And so having her as a partner was a huge blessing this year. A, a year of ambiguity for me. I applied for a Fulbright in August, and I didn't find out until late March. So um, in that waiting time, um, about once every three weeks, I was getting a text from Aunt, pra Aunt Paula praying, and she said she was praying for me, and it brought me so much peace. I mean, I don't think there was anyone out there that was so active in um, mm -hmm. praying for me, and even had she told me that, that she would have the whole family pray over me the night before I had a big interview for it. And so she was one of the first people I wanted to tell when I <laughs> found out, and she it did. wouldn't have happened without that partnership. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Aunt Paula went above and beyond. She yeah, would send she me does. care packages throughout the year as well, yeah. and um, it was really powerful. It, it wasn't mm -hmm. she wasn't directly in my nuclear family, but I really grew closer to her yeah. that this year through that. Yeah. So think about that. Number two is uh, to reach across this generation aisle, respect and embrace what each generation has to offer. Regardless of the generation, everyone has something to contribute. Instead of being threatened by or resenting the differences, I think we need to lean into them, embrace them as a gift, as a larger church or in the family. I think it's important to seek to truly understand them, as Jessica was saying, and even meet and join them in the relationship. Speak their language. I mean, I kind of speak college a little bit, your language, I don't know, but, but you do learn to speak their language, what it means. Um, when you take the initiative to respectfully ask about their interests, their abilities, their experiences with others, you, I think you enhance their sense of competence and encourage them to contribute to a shared effort together. So um, pay attention to... Oh, this is my house group, by the way. Okay. Um, what each, even seeing at church, uh, the younger generation, the teenagers coming up, do they have special gifts that, gifts that you can kind of begin to cultivate? Uh, we have a, a special woman at church, Sandy yeah. Stivers, who saw some um, organizational competencies in a, a young woman at church, and she said, hey, um, why don't you partner with me and, and I'll teach you how to be worship coordinator. Um, we have that role at our church. And so Katie has come alongside Sandy Stivers and she's now doing it on her own. And I love that. Um, when uh, Andy and I uh, kind of oversaw a families of young children, again, siloing off, uh, class, we decided to create a class called Been There, Done That. <laughs> and um, each week we brought a couple who had successfully launched their children uh, to come in and we gave them a couple of questions and just had them share what they learned with these young, vulnerable, wide-eyed parents who are trying to raise and do right by their children. And I loved that class. And every Every couple came in and had a totally different perspective on how they raised their kids, which actually is really helpful. It's like, I guess there's not one right way. Mm -hmm. And their kids turned out pretty good, mm -hmm. so did their kids. And so um, we really treasured that, uh, that series in our class. Um, I, I think it's important to sing one another songs, metaphorically and literally, <laughs> um, to lean into uh, the other generation's interests. Um, but, you know, realize, too, if you embrace what they, they have to offer, they might do things differently than you. And so you need to be okay with that. And um, can you relinquish control? That's yeah. tricky for the, us that are older as we turn things over to the younger generation. But, you know, I find that I need each generation to keep me relevant and to keep me current. I mean, I need that. I need them in my life. Maybe they need me, too, but... Jessica keeps me on target, especially with technology. You know, I, I do pretty good. In fact, when we were planning this, we did it all on Google Docs. So, all right, Grandma, you know, <laughs> because we did have time to. So, you know, that's kind of how we did it. And Jessica helped me do that. I think I know each of my three children, my three in-laws, my ten grandchildren. 
I know them as unique individuals. I try to reach out to them in the mode that they prefer. Maybe a home phone, that's probably iffy. Cell phone, probably. Text, yes. I always get answers when I text them. Email them, not so sure I'm going to do that. Um, <laughs> FaceTime, Skype, Grandma, kind of there a little bit. I don't tweet or anything yet, but, but I try to learn to, you know, communi I want to communicate with them, so that's what we do. Um, I think even with college students that I've had the blessing to work with for years, and I see a few of them in the audience here, um, I think mutual respect is very important. I love them in that age, and I respect them. And I think by their feeling that for me, that uh, then gives them to act respectfully. I had the uh, privilege of being the visiting professor at the Lausanne, Switzerland program, and I had 56, 19, and 20-year-olds to take care of. All right, there. Um, but you know, uh, it was going well. We had a good semester, and I asked one of our leaders there, I said, you know, everybody's kind of doing okay. I'm, I'm savvy. I know what's going on sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't uh, micromanage too much. But I said, why are we just doing? She said, you know why? She said, because they don't want to disappoint you. And I thought, wow, okay, that mutual respect goes a long way. I didn't have to say anything, uh, but that was, that was part of it planning this class we had our first meeting together <laughs> mom bought brought her manila folder with all of her copied off ideas pencil and I paper. brought my laptop and ready to create a word doc and email <laughs> it to everyone and Jess is like well no let's just put it on Google Docs. I so know and I you like can see right okay well just class, tell me what to do uh, we saw some generational differences we did we but we did it yeah okay yeah. It's so it's leaning into the differences, but it's also leaning into common ground. It's important to remember that we have much more in common than we have different. If you look at the Bible itself, if age mattered, then the Bible wouldn't be relevant anymore. But there are some things that are universal and timeless. Uh, things like wanting to be loved and to be loved in return, um, that transaction, looking for a purpose in life, um, cultivating family, enjoying time together, um, hobbies that you love, some things that they, they make us all tick at a broader level. And um, so remembering that is really important. In church, it's great to find um, common ground and points of connection then, and um, it's easy. It's actually pretty easy. You can find niche points of connection. I've really enjoyed um, finding English education friends um, that are 30 years older than me at my church, one of them who ended up being my mentor teacher at the local high school where I was student teaching, and talking literature. Literature is one of those <laughs> things that's been around forever, and we can talk about that, and we've built friendship from that. But another example of a way that you can find points of connection is rallying around some kind of shared goal. A great one is mission trips, um, mm -hmm. volunteer work, and service opportunities in which um, we all share the same goal to do some good in the world. I mean, as Christians, we all have a shared goal to like further God's kingdom, and that's an easy point of connection. And it provides time and proximity, which are two really big things, I think, in relationships. Toiling under the hot sun in Mexico <laughs> next to someone that's 20 years older than me, we're both whacking in nails. <laughs> that brings us together. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really fun to come back from those mission trips and have inside jokes with these people that are so much older. I love volunteers, and I appreciate that they give their time. People that are a lot older, they go with the youth group down to Mexico. I think of them. Um, our Kenya mission team when I went in eighth grade. I think we had four or three or four generational cohorts represented everyone from like the age of 70 down to when I was 14 years old. And um, so I sat next to someone that was um, in her late 60s and we were both on a bumpy matatu ride together and we both had the shared fear and excitement. And um, we always like to look back on that now. So there's something really powerful in those times that you spend together. This is um, one of our um, mission trips down to Mexico to build a house. And as you see here, we've got a lot of young faces, but then we had lovely Christians okay there in the middle. And I will always have that shared experience with her and it makes me closer to her. have a lot in common as Jessica said and and I think even in families um, my my husband Andy always did a he was very intentional so he's the dad of three daughters mm -hmm. and um, he was very intentional to find a meaningful point of connection with each one of his girls and so Jenna's a big-time runner 
and so they would geek out over their splits <laughs> and their altitude gains on their watch. And you know, yes. I had my first mile was 8.3, but man, I brought it down to, and they'd geek out over that, and the music blaring, and they'd share this love, deep love of running, still do. Um, Jessica English, um, their whole, her whole childhood, she shared the journey of a book, uh, the whole Tolkien series, the whole Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. And um, I would come, I came down one night, they were reading Where the Red Fern Grows, and they both were crying. I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen Andy cry in our entire 33 years together. And he's there wiping away tears as little Dan died, or old, old Dan and little Anne. I'm like, what is going on? And um, they shared these meaningful connections through literature. And so in families, but also in church, we have more in common than we have different. And so finding meaningful points of connection can really cultivate intergenerational relationships. I, we do need to know that common ground, I think, with interests, as Carrie was saying. Uh, even with my own children, and they probably get tired of this, but, you know, Carrie, I know what she's teaching, so I'll probably share an article. Or Andy, something pertinent, like, oh, here's something from Grandma. Uh, Paula, that, that Jessica mentioned, uh, is in children's ministry, so I might share ideas or events or games. Even today, I was reading something on food and family, and I know that Michaela's going to be taking a nutrition class, so I thought, well, I'll give this to Michaela. She may throw it away, that's fine, but I know their interests, what they're doing. I think it's important to know about their personal lives a little bit and, and, and listen to that and then respond to it or follow through with it if there's concerns or events uh, with my students if I know something's going on, uh, maybe a big exam that's coming, and ask about them later. In fact, just yesterday I emailed and, and they do look at these emails, um, two of my granddaughters that are taking final exams this next week, and I knew that was coming up, and I just said, hey, Grandma's praying for you, hang in there. Uh, just ways to know what's happening there, uh, follow through with that. Uh, we have prayer partners with Associate Women for Pepperdine. Uh, I work with scholarships, so our board is assigned each one of our scholars, and we pray for them, and we meet them throughout the year, don't we, Jessica? And we, we want to have that relationship. It's not just giving a scholarship, but how can I pray for you? And it's so sweet when I'll do that. Then they'll say, well, how can I pray for you? And it's wonderful because they realize this is a mutual thing we do. I want to encourage all of us not to burn bridges with generations. It's vital to balance what we say knowing what, but also what not to say, and I'm talking about my generation maybe a little bit more. And I think that takes much prayer and patience and restraint sometimes to think about how we're gonna modify, and I can see the older ones saying, yeah, I kinda have to work with that. Um, we teach and share with them, but then in doing that, we need to trust them, and that's why I love having them change me in good ways. So number four, mix it up. That's I my think, whole crew. Yeah, this is our, the entire, we, we love to mix it up in our family. Um, our society and our churches, uh, we tend to, as I was saying, silo off generations. And in, in church, we don't, it's no different. We have the youth group and the second graders and the, you know, parents of empty nest or the empty nesting parents or whatever. We tend to silo off and we think that's the best way to do it. And Perhaps there, you know, there are oftentimes, you know, situations in which we need to do that. But um, in the church, it's important to foster intergenerational relationships. Um, it's it's often human nature to prefer to spend time with people like ourselves. Um, but building intergenerational relationships exposes us to diverse perspectives, unique approaches, and creative solutions that we might have not have thought of. I always love to go to my students and say, we're having this issue in teacher ed, you know, what do you think? And they, they astound me with, wow, I never thought about that. Um, so some of the ways that this has been a blessing in, in our life and ministry is our, we, we've hosted a small group in our home our entire married life, so 30 years of hosting a small group in our home. And we've done some of the maybe ho more homogeneous groups, but the last decade, I think, um, we've had this beautiful small group of 
young marrieds, singles, um, and everywhere in between. Um, Sue Sue and Bob Pratt are retired, different ethnicities, different life stages, and, um, and, and then engaging around a, a common scripture. And it has just been such, and now we have a bunch of kids uh, lots of kids in our group, so we have a little class for them partway through. Uh, but I have really been blessed by this this mixed, heterogeneous uh, grouping of, uh, of uh, people in our home. Um, I appreciate uh, our adult education committee um, at uh, Conejo Valley Church of Christ. I was very intentional about doing a little bit of both. So there are times where it's really nice and helpful and therapeutic for uh, families of young children to gather together on Sunday mornings and equip themselves with parenting skills or um, marriage, um, you know, strengthening. Uh, but also they're very intentional about not doing that always. And so we'll have a quarter of that, and then we'll have another quarter where um, we just finished a fantastic series on reading the Bible together. And again, all groups mixed up together, all perspectives. We did a lot of breaking out into small groups based on physical proximity of where you're sitting in the, in the auditorium. Those were rich conversations around scripture and how we read scripture. And so even in your church life, those of you who are in ministry, give some thought to are there times in our, our, our curriculum where we are creating and fostering intergenerational relationships, even in our Bible class time. Um, I'm going to get a little bit on my soapbox because I feel pretty strongly about this, but um, I think we need to really think how we do church in terms of, Kaneha, we're very, very intentional about having families together and young children in the worship time. Um, a lot of churches now are going to the model. You park your car, you walk into the building, you drop off the kids, and then the adults are all in for worship. And there's really never a time where young children and uh, teenagers and adults of all ages are lifting up their corporate voice to glorify God. There's something about standing with the little people and the big people and everyone worshiping together. At Conejo, we do then have children's worship time. They're dismissed in scripture before the, you know, the sermon, but they're in for all of our singing. They're in for communion, and they can share communion as a family, and I think we really need to be very careful. I often hear, oh, these sweet kids, they're the church of tomorrow. I beg to differ. They are the church of today. They are, their voice is important. They're an integral part of what is going on in the church right now. And I think the way we physically have them join us in worship says that to them. You're important. Um, you're part of our, our, the bigger body of Christ here that meets at this place. So I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Well, I think um, we, I kind of grew up with the mixing together, so it comes maybe more easily to us and our family than others, and that's why we need to invite others in doing that. I love mixing it up with all ages, our family together. Uh, even at church, I always have the youth group over. Usually in the summer, they do a hike, and then they come for ice cream sundaes. So they just call me the lady that gives them ice cream sundaes, you know. Uh, but that they know who I am. In fact, I'm laughing because Zach, when you were laughing, his little daughter came up to me the other day at church. She's four and a half. I was like, I know who you are. Cutest little thing, you know, like, oh, that lady. But anyway, they, they know, and I love knowing who they are. Uh, and, and to respond to them and enjoy them. I personally don't always want to be with widows or single people. I like couples. I like to mix it up. Please mix it up for us because we, we still have that, and that's who we are, but I find that they want to silo us off uh, a lot. So sit with us. Talk with us, too. We want that. We enjoy it. I love it when someone from my house group or so whatever comes sits with me at church. That just warms my heart. Uh, so think about that part of who we are, too. Um, Holly Allen had a book, Interge Intergenerational Christian Formation, and she uses a cute example in that of a, a, an intergenerational group. And so the little kids get to know the older people, and she said, because they know who they are, when they die, they go to their funerals. <laughs> In other words, that, you know, that's part of who knows that person. And I loved that example. 
Uh, I was also thrilled to read a Barna Group uh, research on evangelism, and it said there, it shows having multiple generations, especially older people, voila, okay, at church draws these people to the church uh, because it's intriguing to them, and it's interesting to them, and it's a mentor to them. And sometimes we think, oh, they're uh, useless, but he found that in this that we actually draw them to church. We don't send them away. Okay, number five. To reach across, oh, excuse yeah, me. Go ahead. To reach across the generational aisle, have high expectations. Low expectations due to age stereotyping can be hurtful, degrading, and they contribute to self-fulfilling prophecy. We tend to get what we expect of ourselves and others. In contrast, high expectations for how and how well people apply their talents demonstrate our respect for other and it breeds trust, believe in each other. Mm -hmm. This is um, really important, I think, for my generation. I think it's a common um, habit of older generations in general to just blame the younger generation for what's happening. I think that, that, that's not just exclusive to what's happening yeah. today. I mean, the 70s yeah. and the time before that, and the 1800s, I'm sure, as well, because <laughs> the, uh, the misunderstanding there. And um, so that's something that actually really wounded me is, um, the demonization of millennials ruining certain industries or you know our selfie culture or whatever because so much of what they say to describe me doesn't describe me at all <laughs> but i think it's important to note that a place where i haven't felt this kind of demonization generally has been in the church in the church it's been different people have believed in me from a very early age they've hired me to um, water <laughs> their plants take care of their houses their dogs their children edit papers and you name it and in doing so that like that trust that's placed on me it, it means a lot it communicates you are important and i don't just put you into this category of the worthless youth they're not hard working they can't get a job they are going to move in with their parents postgrad which is very um, financially responsible actually if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a job at the same time <laughs> and um so i really appreciated that my um, youth minister modeled it really well he um made sure that we after we would go um to mexico that we would come back and because the church had donated so much to our mission that we would be able to share with the congregation what we had learned through that and that's where i had experience speaking in front of him my church and finding that I had something to contribute to this church. I was a part of it as well. Um, my youth minister also would sit around the room when we would fundraise for these um, mission trips in the first place and say, so what are we going to do? And he would close his mouth and there would be a think tank of youth group members and we were young, we came up with a plan, we executed it and wow, those were just fantastic life skills but also, again, contributing to this church and this feeling of ownership. When I went to Kenya as a 14 year old, I didn't think that um, Yes, that's me <laughs> in my awkward phase. Um, <laughs> it, I thought I was just going to be kind of tag teaming off of um, the adults' plans, but instead they put me in charge of a station that I knew probably more about than anyone, music videos. <laughs> so I filmed for a bunch of street kids that are about my age, peers, um, and um, I put together and edited it, and um, at the end I felt like I had made this contribution, and <laughs> the street kids loved it. I loved it. That's how I built relationships with them, and it was really important, and it wouldn't have happened if they hadn't trusted me with that in the first place. We will rise to the challenge if you just believe in us. And so, um, yeah, that idea of high expectations again. <laughs> it, it's so true. I, it, the theme is really we need to accept and support and encourage them. I think for my generation, uh, we need to encourage each other. We need to let them know they're going to be okay. I love working with parenting classes or marriage group. I always do a premarital class. And part of it is to say, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. I have some people here from those classes. Uh, in fact, the last one I had, there were 20 that walked in the door. I'm like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm not too old for this. I don't, no one else wants to do it. Here I am. Um, uh, but even with the, as I mentioned, I teach in a women's prison, even with those women, I need to let them have high expectations and know they can do it, help them set goals. Um, and, and, and I love doing that. I think trust begets trustworthiness. And so we need to do some, some trusting there. Uh, remember also that we have, you know, sexism and, and, and um, racism and all, but we also have ageism, and that is more prevalent than you think. 
and we see that and we feel that and we hear it in the media and, and the way that. So I think that we need to find, we feel that. Uh, I'm pretty intentional also about, as I mentioned, what I do with my family. I love a program. One of the things I did two Christmases ago, they wanted a suggestion what I want for Christmas. I thought, I want a coffee mug from each of my grandkids that represents who they are. This morning it was Jessica and hers has books on it. And I have, uh, anyway, each one is there. And so they gave it to me, why they give it to me anyway. We had a lot of fun doing that. But the point is, when it's Jessica Day, that's the day I pray particularly for Jessica. And it's um, my focus day on her. And I tell them that today. I told Jessica this morning, it's your day. I got your mug out this morning with all the books on it. Uh, so prayer is my gift to them. I want to figure out how to pass uh, the baton of not just financial inheritance, but faith and cherished men, men, uh, memories that inspire and encourage. Uh, as I finish my line here, I'm reaching that finish line. I guess I will do more um, by how I live my faith maybe and how I love in them how I believe in them and trust them than any formal lesson I could ever teach so we told Jessica they're really here to hear from you yeah so um, we asked her to just give you some words of wisdom from a millennial uh, so here she goes I just boiled down my thoughts into a couple of do's and don'ts so um, we'll begin at the negatives and go to the positives <laughs> So all of these I have touched on before, but um, just wanted to make more succinctly stated now. Um, don't attack what you may not understand. This goes for all generations. But for millennials who I think that you may have noticed a trend are moving away from the churches and institutions, instead of thinking oh, they are faithless, that they don't care, that they're unintentional, um, realizing that the way we engage our faith is different. And not to say that it's, it's good that way it is, and I think that we do need to find a way to re-engage millennials in the church who are moving away from those institutions. But um, opening up to discourse in the first place and not placing blame and judgment. And that's something that we're very sensitive to is judgment. So um, not attacking what you don't understand, but asking, well, why? Why don't you want to go into these um, spaces? And when we, we're seeking the authenticity for not seeing it there, then that maybe shows that we need to have a conversation about what we can do to change that. Um, the next one being, um, don't allow millennial Christians to become their stereotype. This um, issue of self-fulfilling prophecy has been played in our heads so many times that um, millennials can't engage the church, or, or they, they don't have a place there, and so we stop looking for those opportunities. Every time that I have stepped up to the plate and um, had some kind of leadership role in the church, it was because someone sought me out in the first place, extended a hand and said, Jessica, I'd like you to lead this prayer. I would like you to um, plan this devotional. I would like you to plan the curriculum for the middle schoolers um, at this camp, and I actually did, and, it, and it found that I could do it. Um, we won't always ask for those opportunities. We won't seek them out in the first place, but we will be grateful for when they, extend, they are extended, and we will rise to the challenges. This, this, this lesson was not my idea, but here I am, and I'm very happy to be a part of it, but I didn't initiate in the first place. But so over time, I think if you extend enough opportunities, it, we start to realize, oh, we can do this, and we are wanted here, and we'll start to do that more on our own, but I think sometimes you have to get us started. So when we're not asking for it, make sure we do it anyway. Hold eye contact and follow up. <laughs> we'll try and slink away like cats. You can't let it. <laughs> um, two, be yourself and let us be ourselves. I think that some youth ministers can wear skinny jeans, but not all have to. Well, now, I gra your gra <laughs> now your grandma's got some on Yeah. You can try to speak youth culture language or use our sense of humor, but if you don't get memes, then don't use memes because you'll just misuse them. Um, every generation likes to have something that's sacred to ourselves. We don't need you to be our best friends. We need you to be our mentors. And we don't want mentors that look and dress exactly like us. Um, I appreciate when my grandma uses texting because that's probably a better yeah. way for me to get in contact, but she doesn't need to use Snapchat. That's okay. Yeah, I know. That's Good. okay. We want you to be <laughs> yourselves. We value the wisdom that you're bringing to the table mm -hmm. and um, actually makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes if you try to be exactly yeah. like us. So it's, uh, it's okay. Give yourself that permission. I'm, I'm giving it to you right now. <laughs> uh, 
Lastly, grant us space to contribute in our own way. And I think that this is maybe a practical application for how we can get millennials re-engaged in the church. Is um, If you're not seeing them coming to certain kind of fellowship events, community events, or Bible studies, it's because we don't use our faith that same way. We seek for organic and experiential faith experiences. That's in my time at Pepperdine. I've seen that. Um, some of my best devotionals have been impromptu on the top of a mountain during a hike with a friend. Um, or at a, co at a coffee table and just talking to people like that. So um, how do we then try and or organize that into the church? I think Dusty Breeding has done actually a great job at University of Church of Christ. He would fall into the millennial category as being in his late 20s. He does CrossFit and Jesus sessions yeah. and um, worship to exercise. I don't go to that. Um, one of the most attended um, sessions at a retreat that I went to was um, experiencing God through coffee. And um, so it just looks a little bit different because this is something, I don't see research on this, but this is just my own insight, that because millennials are seeking that kind of authenticity, we don't, maybe the uh, discomfort we have is when we sec sec siphon off um, our faith and reality the rest of our lives, yeah. when you have to enter a church building in order to have that. So we like the coffee or through exercise or through hiking or through just hanging out together to have an impromptu worship session because in that way, um, our life just becomes that the fabric, all the, all the threads align. And so we don't have to section things off and be two different people. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that it comes from that drive to authenticity. Mm -hmm. So um, if you maybe invite us into some of your organizing and planning sessions, um, you can have more kind of um, events like that that we can come to because that's what we are comfortable with. Well, the Bible um, has a lot to say about embracing our differences for the common good. Uh, though 1 Corinthians 12 addresses unity in Christ in light of differences in spiritual gifts, we think it can be instructive for us as we seek unity and joy in our generational differences. So I'd like for you to hear these excerpts from 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts and different generations, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or frees, baby boomers or millennials. I added that. Um, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. <coughs> now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part or one generation, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and generations, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, and the head cannot say to the fact, I don't need you. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, each generation, is a part of it. God is the God of every generation. It's a powerful message that never changes. The traditionalists and builders love and serve the same God as the baby boomers. Uh, those in Generation X follow the same Jesus as those in Generation Y. Busters desire to serve the same God as millennials do. The music, clothes, entertainment, or technology may have changed throughout the generations, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we conclude today, since we've been talking about reaching across the generational aisle, we invite you to stand, put your stuff down for a second. 
and reach out across the aisles, the generational aisle, grab a hand. And we'd like for you to join us in the reading of Ephesians 4, verses uh, 2 through 6, which reminds us that though we are different, we are one in Christ. Let's read it together. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. All right, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Help us proceed from this room celebrating our differences and remembering our overarching unity in you, Lord. Empower us to penetrate our church and family communities, reach across the generational divide, and become the diverse yet singular body that you desire us to be. Heal hurt, mistrust, and communication between our congregations. Convict us to try something new this next week, or perhaps meet someone new, and in so doing, grow in knowledge that surpasses age and individual experience. We are mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, but we are also sisters and brothers in Christ. Thank you for making us this way. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.